Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey. This is lesson number three of our four-part masterclass on brain health. I'm very excited to bring this masterclass to you, and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. As a reminder, the first lesson was an introduction to what Borrelia does to the brain with psychiatrist Dr. Robert Bransfield. The second lesson taught us about the latest neurofeedback techniques to balance brainwave patterns. If you haven't listened to lesson one or two yet, and you like to do things in order, you're going to want to go back and listen to lessons one and two. Aurora, how can people do that? They can go on to limeninja.com forward slash brain underscore health and enroll in the class. It's easy and free. Just give us your email address. Okay. And that address again is limeninja.com forward slash brain underscore health. However, if you don't mind learning randomly, just keep listening because today's lesson, lesson number three, is all about mold and mold testing and why you want to make sure this nasty stuff never invades your home or your body. Aurora, tell us about Lesson 3's expert, Jason Earle. Jason Earle was misdiagnosed with cystic fibrosis when he was four years old. Additional testing found asthma, pneumonia, and multiple severe allergies. However, when he was 12 and he and his family moved, his allergies and asthma disappeared almost instantly. He says it is clear to him he lived in a home with a chronically damp environment, and though at the time the medical community had not widely accepted mold as a trigger for asthma attacks and allergies, the mold in his childhood home had probably made him hypersensitive. Without the constant exposure to mold, he became, quote-unquote, extraordinarily healthy. His early childhood experiences gave him a passion for learning how to protect people from mold. After years of working with industry experts and over 1,500 inspections, Jason created the 1-800-GOT-MOLD mold assessment process. His company's mission is helping people breathe easier one person at a time. The other thing that wasn't mentioned in that bio is that he also had Lyme disease. So he really understands how the two can mimic each other and affect each other. It's really a great lesson. I mean, you're going to enjoy it. So let's dive right in. Jason, how did you get interested in mold? <laughs> well, uh, nobody really wakes up one day and says, you know, I'm really interested in mold. They don't? Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I tend to think that that's, it's one of the least interesting subjects for most people. However... I think it's it's like many things where something becomes personal. And my experience with mold actually really didn't surface until probably 20 years after I initially uh, realized that I had an experience with mold. Um, long story short, as a kid, I had some very res- respiratory issues that were um, falsely diagnosed as cystic fibrosis when I was four, and oh. I later later found out that, um, in fact, I did not have cystic fibrosis, which is good news. Yeah. Um, considering I'm 40 years old, that's part of the reason probably why I'm alive. But the, the real issue was that I was suffering from severe um, asthma compounded by pneumonia, the 
but also the major uh, allergic component. And the allergies that I was tested for uh, revealed that I was allergic to almost everything in my environment. And so, you know, when I was 12 years old, I moved out of the house. I basically lived on, on uh, uh, inhalers most mm-hmm. of my life until the time when I moved out, um, when my parents sold the house. But the house that I was living in was surrounded by, you know, um, farmland. And so I was surrounded by all the allergens that I was supposedly allergic to. Grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, you know, cotton, you name it. So um, at 12 years old, moved out, all my symptoms went away. Hmm. And no one really asked any questions about right. that. Right, you got away from the allergens. Part. Of course you got better. Well, I mean, I had grown out of it, apparently. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Right? Yeah, that happens. My, grand, my, my grandparents um, were both highly allergic, but suddenly got better when they were like 12, 13, 14. Hmm. So um, when I was, you know, fast forward into my 20s, I was uh, doing some backpacking and I was, um, I was, I, I just left a nine-year career on Wall Street and I was having a, a grand old time and I was in this, um, um, I was in a, a hostel, a youth hostel, and I was reading about this huge mold problem that had been discovered in the Hilton Kalia Towers, which is the, um, the flagship property in Oahu for, for the Hilton uh, brand. And um, there are all these people talking about how they've been affected by it. Initially, they thought it was going to be a $500,000 problem. It became a $5 million problem, then a $55 million problem. And all these people that were writing, you know, being either interviewed or or writing these articles were all complaining about these specific health ailments, largely cognitive. Mm -hmm. um, But, of course, there were, you know, this this, the whole battery of arrest for it and all that stuff. But a a lot of that stuff was... The kind of the kind of thing that I experienced, again going all the way back, I had Lyme. I was 15 years old, falsely diagnosed for a long time with other things, and then I was on a major battery of of um, antibiotics. And so I, I kept thinking, is this was it mold or was it Lyme? <laughs> yeah, you know, I called my dad and I said, Hey, Dad, do you think we had a mold problem at the house on Alternate Road? And he goes, Jason, we had mushrooms growing in the basement. <laughs> so he laughed at me, right? Yeah, of course. And we I'm mold. like, right. I look back at that now, buckled paneling, musty smell, obvious stuff, right? Um, but then I couldn't get, get my mind around the fact that there wasn't some sort of other component. And I kept thinking about the lime, because uh, there were people who were talking about you know, the, this issue in lime. Mm-hmm. I don't want to muddy the waters, but what I, what I will come away from this whole thing with is that the doctor who prescribed all the meds for the Lyme didn't realize that he was dealing with someone that was mold sensitive. So when I was 12 and I moved out, the symptoms went away, but suddenly I developed cognitive issues that happened subsequently. And I now realize that that was probably due to my gut. Okay. Because of all the antibiotics from the Lyme. Okay. So there was a whole, there's a whole confluence of things here. Yeah. And if you start really looking at the way these things over, 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 uh, overlap each other, almost like a Venn diagram. Yeah. It becomes pretty messy, but it's also impossible to really unravel them and say, which is the cause of what, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's funny when we right. were, if you pause there for a second, we, when we were going through, 
acupuncture training, there was some philosophical discussions that we got into, you know, what kind of chicken and egg things. And the way they resolved this after a time was they talked about mutual re- arising. It's like they all kind of get together and come at the same time. So it's not chicken before the egg or what caused what is really they're They're all part and parcel of the same syndrome. So, you know, you were talking a little bit about Dave Asprey linking Lyme disease and really saying it's a it's a mold issue, the chronic stuff. So maybe, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe they do arise. Maybe it takes a perfect storm of the environment to get bit by the tick and have some other uh, either mold or, you know, we see lots of viruses, too. I think some latent viruses come to the head with Lyme, too. Are you familiar and with Lyme's David? Right, because there's lots of lots of other tick-borne, uh, you know, co-infections, as, as everyone knows. I, right, uh, I I think they're with the ticks, but I think they also, if you have, you know, everybody's got herpes, right? And if your immune right. system gets bashed down a little bit, it, you know, you get the cold sore. You if under when you're stressed out. So I think I think Lyme kind of triggers somehow, you know, whatever problem you have. It, it's going to make it worse. It's going to bring it to the surface. So if you have a, you know, a slight mold problem in your sinuses, it's going to start eating you alive. Or if it's in your yeah, house. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. So, you know, so maybe, maybe it is something like that, like what you're talking about. Well, Are you familiar with Horowitz? Of, David, Rich, I'm sorry, him? Richard Horowitz? Who's a. No, I'm not. He's he's got a model of disease, and he's kind of using Lyme disease to uh, as the poster child for his approach. And he, he calls it a, a nineteen multi systemic something or other. And he's and mold is one of the things. So he says with these complicated diseases, you can't just look for one cause. He says you've got to look at these multi systemic issues and really kind of come at it from a lot of different directions and try and track down not the one thing that's causing it, but maybe the four, five, six, seven things that are causing it. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me also just back up a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that, um, that you're not aware of is that, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm the owner of the Miami, um, myarmy.com uh, website and, and develop that, that product, but really, my background—the reason I got into this business—is because I'm actually the founder of 1-800-GOT-MOLD, which is the—it's um, uh, a mold inspection company on steroids. And we also make—we uh, uh, also have Michael Lab USA, which is the maker and the, um, the marketer of the Got Mold Test Kit, which is a whole different conversation altogether. But I got into the business of mold and mold testing primarily because I was. Um, as a kid, if, if we had this problem, and I know we did, there weren't the resources to actually detect or correct this problem. It simply didn't exist. There weren't mold remediation firms. They didn't even, that wasn't even like a concept, let alone a mold assessment company or a do-it-yourself home test kit for mold. So I look back at that now and think, man, if, if, if we had, you know, the, the tools to check and correct these things, the world would probably be a little bit of a healthier place. Um, so that's that's why I'm in this industry, really, is because I really wanted to, to be able to create solutions for people that are concerned about this. You start talking about um, other infections or other, other issues. Um, one of the things that we consistently see and this has been, I've been doing this for about 12 years after leaving um, 
Wall Street. The, the main thing that I see as a sort of a concurrent infection, if you will, even though it's not, I would say, it's, it's another part of the Venn diagram, mm-hmm. is sensitivity to VOCs, fragrances, yeah. things like that. So you get the, the MCS people. So if you really look at lime and mold and chemicals and you overlay them, oh, by the way, um, chronic sinusitis, forget about asthma, that's a given. But you start really getting into this and start laying those circles out, there's a really big, really big, deep, um, colorful Venn diagram there. And the chemical sensitivity to me is phenomenal. Because um, I, I see people who get one chronic mold exposure and they can no longer be around someone who wears, you know, a spray of perfume. Are you getting that kind of stuff in your practice too? Yeah, I, I mean that's been a constant issue with some people, and you know sometimes it's it seems like it does come from mold. Sometimes it seems it comes from gut issues, uh, and you yeah. know now, now with the focus on Lyme, I'm, you know that's always. One of the things also I'm, I'm always curious about, but it, in, in general, for me, it's the detox systems overwhelmed. And so any extra input that isn't, especially a volatile chemical, uh, that can't quickly be cleared out starts irritating the bejesus out of you. So yeah, people's perfumes, gasoline, you know, anything that's airborne like that, some essential oils even. And just actually, yep. just make your skin crawl, if not, you know, have a severe allergic reaction. Yeah, and as, as a kid, when I had, you know, I was on the the tail end of the uh, VOCs or the um, antibiotics from Lyme disease. I remember having almost like out of body experiences. Really bizarre. Um, and it, it was specifically in the morning, and I started connecting that to what I was eating. If I had a bagel, for example, yeah, boom, you know, yeah. just yep. in the gut through the roof. So you start you start really diving into this. It's a really messy situation where you know the guy you the bagel next. You know you're you're providing the VOCs, right? Yes. And you're making right, all the candida, right? You're just a factory. Yep. And you start getting into that whole thing, and you know it's taken me almost twenty years to get control of, of those things. So so my my entire all of this becomes one. Uh, focus for me in my entire life, which is how can I enable people to, to, uh, to guide themselves through this? And this is a very long and winding conversation, but 1-800-GOT-MOLD, um, is based in Princeton, New Jersey. We do environmental home assessments, uh, for, uh, people that think their house is making them sick. Um, we for a long time used Labrador retrievers to help sniff out the hidden mold in buildings. And we've been on Good Morning America and Extreme Makeover Home Edition and hundreds and hundreds of newspapers and magazines. And for a long time, we, we focused on our local region primarily because of the fact that we just wanted to maintain really high quality. But over the years, because we've had so much national press, we got a lot of people inquiring from us, inquiring us with us, uh, whether or not they, um, there, there was some sort of a way for them to, to do it yourself home test or for some other low cost solution to be available. And so, uh, we went about creating a couple of different products and, and investigating this and, and, uh, you know, investing quite, quite heavily in this. And so my army is one of those solutions for people who think that their house is making them sick. My army is a, is a, 
a vacuum-based uh, two-year cell phone test kit where they can vacuum up the dust in their home, submit it uh, to us, and then that's analyzed by a uh, EPA-licensed laboratory, which indexes the spores and the concentration and the types of mold that are found in that sample against a national index that was developed by the um, uh, by the uh, EPA and by HUD um, during a, 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 a basically uh, first ever national study, and so you get an idea how much mold burden is actually uh, cumulative in your home. So how right? do you how so, do you do the test again? You use a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, so there's there, it's a very simple test actually. It, there's a dust collection unit that goes on the end of your vacuum cleaner, and then you vacuum up a, a fixed area. Um, the EPA recommends that you mark out a six foot by three foot section in your bedroom and your living room and vacuum both of them um, because that way it indexes the most highly used areas in your home. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And uh, and then that 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 is when you get the ERMI result, which is the EPA format, um, they actually give you the result that's based upon your house, indexed upon that study. And it's also regional, so it's pretty interesting. So how many different um, you can types also of... Do it for, you can okay. also do it for other areas of the home, too. But okay. the ERMI index doesn't necessarily apply because if it's not done with that fixed uh, relative comparison, it doesn't necessarily apply based on the index. So, so they don't have a baseline for basements? <laughs> yeah. So so what's good reference. about ERMI, yeah. uh, there are 36 molds. I think this is where you were going. Yeah. There are 36 molds that are tested. Um, ERMI is a DNA-based test. So um, it runs through something called PCR, which is polymerase chain reaction. Mm -hmm. um, and that PCR test only looks for 36 different molds, of which 10 are considered common outdoor molds. And they, so they're really looking for 26 that are commonly associated with water damage or with um, um, chronic dampness. Okay. And so when when you do testing, and again, I own a company called 100 Mold that specializes in doing these kinds of assessments and testing, and we do not do remediation, by the way. All we do is testing and consulting, so we've got a lot of data. Um, the the molds that are most commonly associated with chronic water damage, unfortunately, do not show up in traditional air testing very often. How come? So, uh, so Stachybotrys, Chytomium, um, these are the if, if these are the the most uh, prevalent or the most notorious, I should say water damage indicators. Um, they are, they're, they're, they're three different stages. You've got primary, primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, colonizers. Okay. Primary, primary, primary colonizers are, you know, penicillium, aspergillus types, you know, all, all the really small molds. Uh, some, of the, some of the secondary colonizers can also be within that same camp, but the tertiaries tend to be the stachybotrises and the chytomiums. And what's interesting is that they tend to produce larger and sticky spores. So, and, 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 and also fewer. So when you start really looking at, um, under a microscope, you can start to see, if you know what you're looking at, you can start to see if this is a early stage issue or a later stage issue. Okay. The penicillin aspergillus, 
they come back and bloom, they bloom and the numbers go through the roof in the secondary and tertiary stages. But almost never do we see the, the big guys, the ter- the uh, uh, catomium and stachybotrys spores in, in air samples because their spores are so big and they're also sticky. So, so they're stuck so on something. Biggest, Literally. They're, they're, they're kind of, yeah, I mean. Um, they're not floating around in the air. Yes, yeah, Sakibotras, I think, in Latin means um, uh, grapes on a stick. <laughs> so, it, 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 you know, the, the perception under a microscope is that these things are pretty significant. Yeah. And so um, the way we, we, we kind of explain it is that the penicillin aspergillus types that you see in every air sample in every single home, doesn't matter what region of the country, they're like ping pong balls. And the stachybotrys and the chitomiums are more like basketballs or beach balls. Yeah. So if you throw them all up in the air, you know, the, the, obviously the big ones settle out faster. Right. So with ERMI, as opposed to regular air sampling, with ERMI, you collect all that dust, and that gets sent through the PCR, through the DNA analysis. And we can tell you what's actually floating around in your house that's settled out of the air. Okay. It's not uncommon for us to set take air samples in a house in some kind of, in some places where there's actually significant visible mold mm-hmm. and not get the stachybotrys and the chitomiums, which are actually on the wall. Wow. Visible. Wow. Right. So you start you take a you take a carpet sample and you'll say, Oh, well, of course it's there. Okay. Right? So that leads to my next question is, so does somebody need to get their house tested? You know, we all have been in places where it smells moldy, right? It's obvious there's something going on there. But like you you said something about something being invisible in the walls. Can can anybody have mold in their house, even if it's not, you know, growing obviously somewhere? Okay, so it's it's a complicated situation. So if someone's got mold in their walls – and there's a musty smell. Mm-hmm. That that's where it's it's difficult because the consumer really should never deal with this on their own. Um, so getting testing done is is it always a good idea. The thing is that in all candor, the kind of tests you can do, and unfortunately, there's no real quick and simple solution to this. If you've got totally hidden mold growth and there's a musty smell, people are sick and there's no outward evidence of, of um, mold growth. Mm-hmm. That can be really complicated. Unfortunately, consumers don't know what to look for. They don't have, it sounds stupid, but as simple as a good flashlight. Yeah. And they don't even know what to look for if they knew it. You know, looking at the underside of furniture in the basement, you know, the, the, the signs of hidden mold growth aren't hidden if you know what to look for. Okay. Right. But when it comes to testing, um, one of the things that's that's important is that a lot of times homes have already had a mold problem prior. They may have an active one now, but they may have had a problem 10 years ago. Right. And there's a latent mold burden in the home. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where testing, like especially with the Miami, can be really useful because it's not necessarily about what's happening today. It's about what's happened over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Think about all the damp basements, all the people that moved in and out, all the people that were, you know, were, were charged with the responsibility of 
maintaining the home and maybe perhaps didn't. The the kinds of tests that are available right now, you can hire a professional. You can go to Home Depot, actually, and get, get a $10 test kit. Those don't work. Yeah, I've seen those. Okay, we uh, know this, right? And they work they're because they're just taking the air sample? How come they don't work? You, you put you put a you, you put a growth medium on the counter in a world that is completely surrounded by mold spores, right? I mean, mm-hmm. mold spores are ubiquitous. You put a growth medium out there, mold's going to grow. Right. That's why they don't work because they give false positives, okay. and then people think that they're they've got a mold problem. So they work the same way a piece of white bread will work if you leave it out of the right? Save 10 right? bucks. You're yeah. get mold. Of course. Right. So you, you just, and by the way, they charge to analyze that sample. So it's 10 bucks plus the 40. So you're spending 50 bucks to get nothing. The, the alternative is to hire a professional, mm-hmm. which can cost you thousands of dollars. And in many cases, isn't necessary. And in cases where it is necessary, the big issue is now you got to pay for remediation. And many times people pay professionals, thousands, and then find out that they're also the company that's willing to do the remediation, which is a conflict of interest. Yeah, I could see that. That could get messy. Yeah, so you don't want to be engaging in in a situation where, as a consumer, your your advice is coming from someone who's being paid to to not only um, do the initial testing to find the mold, but also being paid for the remediation. Uh, based upon their effectiveness, and they're doing their own testing, <laughs> right? It's yeah. the fox watching the hen house. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a major conflict there. So when it, when it comes to, to the whole spectrum, you get ten dollar test kits, and you got multi thousand dollar inspections that can be ridden with with uh, conflicts of interest. And then there are a couple of solutions in the middle for do it yourself testing which ultimately should give the consumer the ability to figure out whether or not it's even worth spending the money in even the first more, place yeah. for the professional, right? That, that's the ideal. It's almost like a pregnancy test kit, right? Yeah. So you don't, you don't go buy baby furniture because the EPT says plus, right? You, 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 once you do that, then you go to the doctor and say, hey, listen, we did some testing, and it looks like we may have something going on here. You don't, you don't immediately jump to, to that conclusion. And same thing should be with mold, where there are some tests that are out there. MyERMI, M-Y-E-R-M-I.com is one of them. The other solution, there's a company um, in Michigan that makes a really interesting test kit. Um, it's Prism Analytical. Um, they, they have a, a test kit that tests the air for, um, for VOCs, and they've got the ability to actually... Um, carve out which VOCs are man-made and which ones are microbial in wow. origin, in other words, which ones are MVOCs. Yep. So when mold grows, it produces three things, pri- primarily spores, um, VOCs, which is that musty smell, okay. and toxins. And some molds produce toxins sometimes, but all molds, when they're growing, produce VOCs. That's right. why we have beer and all these other <laughs> lovely things, right? That's alcohol, ethanol. Yep. So um, long story short, this company has, has got a, a VOC test and they've developed a catalog of these VOCs. And so you can collect this sample in your house and it will detect the VOCs, even microbial, that are below the odor, odor threshold. That, so that cool. was going to be my other question is, do you have to smell a musty smell for there to be mold there? 
So, you know, this is, again, so it, it, this could be a complicated conversation, but I'll, I'll try and have it not be. But a lot of people that have chronic exposure lose their sensitivity to it. Okay. So there, there can be, as you, as you know, a lot of people end up with chemical sensitivities. Some people actually develop these, this weird thing where they're sensitive to the chemicals, but they can't detect them anymore. They can't smell them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Around, around here, we have some, uh, very, uh, wells, well water with lots of sulfur in them. And you go into some homes and it smells like rotten eggs. And the people who've been living there at some point, they, their brains are kind to them and it shuts off. They can't smell it anymore. And yep. they forget. They yeah. bring somebody into the house, and they, you know, forget. Oh, I forgot to tell you that our house smells like rotten eggs because you know we've got sulfur water in the toilet, and you know we've got eight air filters yep. running, but we still smell it, or we don't smell yeah, it anymore. You but you're going to smell ton it. Of, ton of carbon filters in that house, and they'll never go away. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, I, and and we get that a lot, especially with older people. And one of the things that they consistently see is that their their kids or their grandkids come by for, you know, the holidays. Yes. And they can't be there. They're like, Oh my God, mom, dad, you know, grandma, whatever. We can't we can't be here. The house is so musty. Or what's really interesting is when they come to visit, they're like, Do you realize that you smell musty? Oh really? Like your clothes smell musty? Yeah, because they're infested. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, those people tend to feel better when they're at home. Um, so that's but, one of the big clues. Yeah. You go on vacation and all of a sudden your XYZ symptom clears up. Exactly. Suddenly your inner sinuses are draining yeah. or, you know, you, you don't have the fatigue. You don't have to sleep until 9 a.m. and that kind of stuff. Now, how, so, how often do you find people where the mold has actually infected tissue? In, like somebody's sinuses. Does that, do you find that? Do you run across those stories? Yeah. So a lot of our work is working with physicians and other uh, medical practitioners. So so we tend to get people that are um, health affected. We're not, we don't get a lot of like, oh, I just don't feel well. Right. No, it's like they're pursuing a, a you know pursuing a, a medical resolution. So I think our sampling might be skewed towards the more extreme cases. Um, and for, <laughs> right. then again, also because of the fact that people are unwilling, usually in our in our you know service business, people generally aren't willing to spend a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars unless they know they have a serious problem. Right. You Makes know, sense. it's yep. an, an elective procedure, if you will. Yep. So as much as it may be mandatory from their doctor, it's really not something people do willingly. You know, they kind of come kicking and screaming. So we do see a fair amount of, of um, fungal infections, um, but not as many as you might think. I think as a percentage, it might be 5% of our cases. Okay, so that's not and a I, lot. It, it's not that big, but I, I think that when you really look at a fungal case, I mean, there's a there's a major immune issue there, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this this is not someone who's who's got mold as, as the illness. Mold is one it's- liver. Um, usually they've, you know, when we get those cases, usually someone's got HIV, diabetes, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're on immunosuppressant drugs because of a heart transplant or a lung transplant or a whatever, you know, but usually there's a, this is a very much separate issue. And in fact, they're better off not even 
mold is not the issue for them. Right. It's, it's an immune system. Okay, that makes sense. I had one patient yeah. once who had chronic uh, sinus infections, and she had been on and off antibiotics for 20 years, essentially. And she'd go on the antibiotics, clear up, you know, however long she was on them, three weeks, six months. And then eventually the, the science problems would come back. At some point, one doctor got smart and tested her for mold, and it ended up that she had a mold infection. So they switched her nebulizer to a, a mold formulation, and that helped. And then we also cleaned up her gut, and then that finally kicked it for good. So I was just well, curious. Kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. So, no, so really, when I, people I, I are do see a lot of that. when people are suffering that much from mold, it's the VOCs, it's the volatile chemicals that are poisoning them. Well, is so that- no, I mean, listen, it, 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 this is a very complicated issue. I can't wait for the science to actually emerge and show um, exactly how this whole thing really works. Um, the when you talk about someone who's got chronic sinus problems that ends up with, you know, fungal infections and things like that, mm-hmm. it's comp- it's complicated. I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but and, but I've done this for 12 years, and I've seen thousands and thousands of cases, and a lot of our work comes from physicians. And so a lot of them, by the way, ENTs. And um, so one of the things, excuse me, one of the things that we see a lot of is people with sensitivities to mold and to the VOCs and to fragrances and, of course, the microbial VOCs, if they're in a mold environment, one of the first things that happens is you get this massive inflammation. And some of the, some of the science out there uh, talks about the trigeminal nerve. Okay. And so there's this massive inflammation that occurs in the, in the, in the uh, upper respiratory tract, specifically in the sinuses. Mayo Clinic has implicated mold as the cause of nearly 97% of chronic sinusitis. Um, and they're not exactly talking about fungal infections, right? but the source of the underlying cause of chronic sinusitis, which is that inflammation. So if you think about someone who's sensitive to the, to the compounds, whether it be the VOCs, not necessarily the spores. Yes. They get, they get, they, they get, they get inflamed. Their body says, Oh, this is a bad environment. The sinuses swell up, traps particles, bacteria and fungal, fungi. And next thing you know, you got a fungal or a bacterial infection. Now you got now you got sinusitis, right? Now you got a sinus infection. So it's not necessarily a fungal infection, although it does manifest in many cases as allergic rhinitis or mm-hmm. allergic fungal rhinitis. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what was the real underlying cause of that? It wasn't really the spores. It wasn't really a fungal infection. It was exposure to that musty smell, and the body says, nope, I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm going to close up, right? I'm closing up. I can't deal with this. Except we, right. Except so that we, musty smell is yeah. a big deal. Yeah. The musty smell is a big deal. That's why prism analytical test is, is pretty cool. Um, our, our ERMI test is great for the underlying fungal burden, you know, the, the microbial um, a cumulative burden in the home that I, I like to use the, the, the prism analytical uh, test also, because I think it's, I think it's interesting when, especially if people say, Hey man, you know, I, I get headaches, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, yeah. cognitive stuff that that's not sports. All the brain fog right? stuff. Yeah. 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 And I think those people are also sensitive to, if they eat a bagel, 
they've got gut issues, as yep. you've talked about. And that so people who have gut issues are going to be chemically sensitive to, in many cases, in my experience. Right. Well, they're because similar they're compounds. producing yeah. stuff. Yep. Yeah. They're producing the same, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an industrial factory. Um, <laughs> when you look at MVOCs, it's benzene, aldehydes, alcohols of different sorts. There are people that actually get, are drunk while they're awake and hadn't anything to drink for, you know, three years. Right. That piece of bread. Bagel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy, oh. isn't it? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're a chemical factory as it is, but then if you're really imbalanced, it's insane. And then people are sensitive to all these things inside and outside. It's wild. Right. Well, you get the whole gut ecosystem and, you know, one bacteria is feeding off the off gases of the other and so forth and so on. And you get that balance out of whack and, you know, stuff gets falls through the cracks or seeps out through the cracks and you can be in a world of hurt in a big hurry. Yeah. Right. Very quickly. And yeah. again, all that cognitive stuff. Yeah. I mean, people, people just, people who don't know what this is like can't even fathom what it's like. I mean, it's just, it's such a, such an incredible, um, it, it's not something that a pill will ever fix. And people don't get that. All right. Well, you've been incredibly gracious with your time and thank you for putting up with my scheduling snafus. <laughs> well, no, no worries. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about yourself, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind. Um, and then I'd like to end. I want to give you a chance to, while you're listening to me, uh, if, if there's anything else you want to a- add to the end of this interview, and then uh, uh, one more chance to let people know what your website is. So it sounds like if you bring a 12 year old into the house and they say, "Ooh, it smells in here," you need to get tested, basically. Get the neighbors. Usually, kid. if someone, if yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Go ahead. No. If, if if people are saying to you, your house, you know, your house smells musty, and you're not feeling well, I think pretty much the writing is on the wall. Yeah. Um, and we get a lot of that. The the main issue is if you feel badly and you don't know why, you feel better when you're away for a couple of days. Now, everyone feels better when they're on vacation. But um, <laughs> there's also a degree of knowing what feeling better is um, when you're on vacation versus feeling better, like literally feeling like you can breathe better or your sinuses are, are not stuffed up. Um, so, so getting your home tested, I think, is a, in a majority uh, of cases an intuitive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we tend to see, I think that's why we see a lot of our demographic is, is uh, women. They tend to be pretty good about their intuition. Yeah, better sense um, of smell too. Better sense of smell too, absolutely. Um, and thank goodness for that. They can smell a dirty diaper, you know, ten <laughs> feet away. Um, this is a this is a this is a survival instinct. So yes, um, we, we like that. We like to survive. You know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, I, women tend to be really intuitive, and they say something's not right here. Something yeah. thinks in Denmark. No pun intended. Hmm. And so they, you know, when it comes down to getting testing done, the only reason that people really should get testing done is when they think that their house is causing ill effects to people in the home and they're unwilling or unable to afford a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars to hire a professional to come in and do a comprehensive assessment. Okay. 
in most cases, that's it, it's, it's a little bit like jumping the gun again. Like I said, it's, it's like the pregnancy test kit, right? right. You don't schedule with your OBGYN when, you know, you wake up feeling nauseous. Right. You do a test um, and you figure out whether or not that's warranted. So um, at the end of the day, the most important thing that people should be aware of is the problem itself. It's not about how to navigate the waters. At the end of the day, and this is the biggest thing, if you get your house tested, um, whether it be through a professional or with a do-it-yourself-home test kit, the most important thing, that I'm going to implore people to not hire a company that does testing and remediation. If you're doing that, you're inviting the, the, the fox into the hen house. You really want to hire a company that's independent and doesn't have any financial ties to the company that's doing the testing. And the company doing the testing should be special, specializing in mold, not doing lead paint, asbestos. I, it's a very different dynamic. Um, you can clean up all the lead paint and it will never come back. Or you can clean up 90% of it, it'll never come back. Right. You can clean up all the asbestos. It's not going to come back. If you don't understand enough about building science to understand how to fix the problems that cause that water issue, you clamp the mold, it'll come right back, literally in a matter of days. Wow. So, so you could spend $10,000 getting your house cleaned up, and it could be just reinfected by the time you move back in? It, it can be worse. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got contractors that will gladly rip out your basement, all the, all the, the uh, sheetrock, and put it right back together again. Um, after they've sprayed a multitude of chemicals around to try to, quote-unquote, kill the mold. Right. And then they put the sheetrock back up. And sheetrock is beautiful mold food. Now, of all the things that, that, that has been created on this planet, sheetrock is the mold, uh, the mold, it's the, the favorite thing that mold likes to so eat. Is that right? the like, gypsum or the paper on it? What do they feed off of? It's the, well, it's perfect because the gypsum is absorptive. And so it absorbs the humidity and the, and the uh, dampness. So it keeps and the, then the paper is cellulose, yep. which is right there on the carbon, you know, yep. uh, on the buffet uh, that mold loves to eat from most. So it's all carbon based. It's, it's basically chewed up, you know, processed leaves and paper, yep. right, or leaves and uh, trees. So mold loves that stuff. Um, so you got the dampness. The the the, the gypsum looks it up. And then the paper is the perfect growth medium. I joke around with the, the labs that we use and say, hey, listen, have you ever thought about when you run a Petri dish, it's just grabbing a piece of sheetrock or a piece <laughs> of the ceiling tile yeah. above you, right? Because the ceiling tiles are also phenomenal um, if you want to grow anything, especially stachypotris. So, you know, we build buildings out of self-composting materials these days, you know, um, just add water. So our houses these days are really, truly mold factories. You know, they're super tight. Um, they're built of low-quality materials. They're very mold-friendly, very absorptive, nutrient-rich. That will, that will digest, uh, be digested by, uh, fungal colonies, you know, faster than anything, um, in, in our modern history compared to plaster, brick, stone, stucco, all these things. Those things don't have problems. Mold can't grow on those things. But paper, medium density fiberboard, um, carpet, carpet padding, uh, ceiling tile, sheetrock, oh, just add water and wait two days. 
I was feeling bad that our house is uh, something like 150 years old, and there's still plaster walls, and we have I have mold in the basement. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna order your test and see what we got growing down there. And uh, but you know it's it's not there's still lots of drafts, <laughs> and I, I'll be curious to see how much is growing upstairs and what exactly is growing upstairs. You know, it's because it doesn't smell. It doesn't really smell. Well, that's the big thing. I mean, if you don't smell the musty smell, um, you may not be qualified to make that assessment. Because sometimes, you know, as we get older, sometimes our senses deaden a little bit. Yeah. Or you've been living in the house, and people become desensitized to their own issues. Yeah. Again, you know, like people will, you know, show up at a, you know, Thanksgiving. Uh, dinner and people are like, man, you smell right. musty. <laughs> right, the, the five year the five year old says, "Grandma smells." <laughs> Grand, yeah, exactly. You know, she like her books. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So that's probably kind of a uh, giveaway, but um, but the the idea that you don't smell it doesn't mean you don't have it. Right. Again, I always go back to if you don't feel well, and you and your in- intuition says that there's something wrong with the house, there probably is. Yeah. And then you have to go to, to science for it, right? And figure out. And then if, if you're lucky enough, and it's hard to find qualified professionals, if people want to look for a qualified professional, they should go to iaqa.org, which is the Indoor Air Quality Association. That's, that's a, a great resource for people uh, to find people that are certified um, ironically, I'm no longer certified, but I've been teaching courses and doing this for a long time. But it's a good place to at least sift through some of the junk. Okay. IAQA.org. Okay. Well, um, my we'll company is 1-800-GOT-MOLD. Um, and that's, that's the one in Princeton, right? That's right. In Princeton, we, we, we primarily service New York City, and New Jersey, and Eastern Pennsylvania. Yep. That's 1-800-GOT-MOLD. Dot com, um, and then the do-it-yourself test kit um, that's based on the EPA uh, and HUD study, uh, which we sell through myermi.com. ERMI is actually an acronym for Environmental Rel- uh, Relative Moldiness Index, okay. so not really a sexy term. But no. so ERMI is a <laughs> trademark term, and it's owned by and patented by the EPA. I was going to sound sounds, sounds like cool a government <laughs> sounds like a government acronym. It sounds like a government acronym. Yeah, yeah. It totally does. <laughs> but it's m y e r m i dot com dot com, and that's a dust based analysis which gets submitted through an EPA uh, license process that ultimately does a DNA sequencing on on that dust, and that's that's a it's a pretty cool technique, and that that goes for uh, two hundred and forty five dollars. Results are. are uh, uh, expected via email in about uh, five to seven business days. Oh, so that's quick. So it's not fifty bucks, but it's not thousands either. So, yeah, there's not. You listen, I'm constantly looking for ways to be able to help people um, who who can't, or like I said before, who are either unwilling or unable to spend a thousand bucks as the first step. And I think that's. I think it's a big burden. So yeah, there's nothing yet that's effective at the fifty dollar price point um no yeah i mean you don't even you don't even want to deal with the stuff that's like on the shelf at home depot yeah okay no. so but so the 10 20 50 
you're going to get effective analysis from something once you start getting into the $100 region, but really you're not going to get data that's actionable, unfortunately, until you end up in the sort of the ERMI range, which is around 250 bucks. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly significant hurdle even for people who, who are on budget. But not insurmountable. No. Any, anyone who thinks that their house is making them sick recognizes that that's a relatively small investment compared to the, 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 the overall um, impact of, of poor indoor air quality. Yeah. Well, it's, it's soon going to be a, a copay for a doctor's visit. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's true. But also, you know, what's really interesting is that if you start looking at, again, you know, the, the major prevalent um, long-term chronic I'm being redundant to a degree, but for a purpose, um, illnesses in America are being connected to poor indoor air quality. Yeah. Um, when you start looking at the, the EPA and Berkeley lab study that came out a few years ago, I think it was 2010, connected um, 4.6 million cases of asthma uh, to uh, of the 24.6 million cases worldwide. Oh, sorry, sorry, uh, nationwide, um, to mold and damps indoors. So mm-hmm. literally linked it. So it's kind of a big leap for EPA and Berkeley Labs to say, well, about 25% of the cases of, of asthma are mold and dampness related. Um, the Mayo Clinic in 1999 said that 97% or more cases of chronic sinusitis are mold related. Uh, Brown University did a, a really interesting study. And they were actually trying to disprove, which is a funny way to go about doing a study, but they were trying to disprove a previous study and they did a survey of 6,000 homes and concluded that uh, there's a direct correlation between mold and dampness indoors and depression. No so you start looking at, you, you start looking at how big that is. Yeah, huge. Right? Yeah. So we're not talking about respiratory stuff anymore. No, we're, we're back to the cognitive, yeah. Cognitive, you know, it, it, these are big Good issues. Stuff. Yeah, and you know, you start talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, kids going to school, uh, people making it to work, you know, being generally functional, all the other associated um, premature deaths. So, I mean, really, it's not just about someone's got, you know, sniffles. Um, the 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 impact of mold and dampness in the course is a big deal. And they've done some other other studies. You look at the CDC study uh, that shows they, they went back and did a meta study, looked at fifteen hundred uh, uh, studies over the course of fifty years, specifically related to only pediatric asthma um, and environmental home assessments associated with those. And this is fifty years. So they they found that if 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 there were environmental home assessments, much like what we do through one eight hundred got mold, right. Environmental home assessments with a, with a focus on uh, allergens in the home and then specific targeted low to medium cost interventions, there was between a 3 and $14 return on investment in terms of cost savings in their health care. So you're talking about literally doing an assessment that might cost a 1000 or 2000 bucks. That's expensive. Right. And mostly these are lower socioeconomic um, yeah. uh, scenarios. Right. So, but even so, these kids are going to the ER for 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 asthma right. attacks multiple times 50, a year, sixty, yeah. eighty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Right. One yeah. overnight stay is twenty grand. Right. Or ten grand. You yeah. know. 
So, so you're going into these homes doing a, an assessment that costs a thousand bucks that, that and you're, you're uh, implementing, you know, bedding encasements, you know, uh, have a vacuums, have a filters, doing some minor and moderate interventions in terms of maybe some of the repairs that need to be done. You know, it's a rental, it's a, it's a, it's an apartment. So you're, you're, you know, remove some of the mold and you can't replace the roof, but these are low cost interventions relative to the burden on the healthcare system. And the system is saying, we need that, right? These kids can't be spending $80,000 a year in ER when they've got, you know, uh, They've got they've got cockroaches in their house, right. mold, right? Right. That's what it's coming down to. So we're what we're going to see in our in our lifetime, thank goodness, is that the insurance companies are going to say, "Hey, by the way, let's invest in their health." <laughs> right. <laughs> and we've got the tools and devices to test and, and and detect that. And my company's mission is to be able to put that information in the hands of the people that can actually act on it. So. I tried to r- wrap up the interview like 15 minutes ago and you got on a roll and I, it's the best part of the interview. So it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you got going. W- one, one last question. Do you think this is going to drive standards, building code standards and shift the way houses are built? I mean, in the long run, do, do you think we'll have to get better at building houses? Um, I think we're past the point of no return there. Okay. Honestly. Because sheetrock by itself is a problem. Yep. So when you when you really start looking at um, building codes lag lag significantly. When I say they lag, I mean they're probably fifteen years behind. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of feels like the FDA. You know, like they're talking about the food pyramid. They're still talking about dairy and grains being at the top. Yep. You know, I think it's pretty clear that. Then most people agree that that's probably not the best way to arrange the food pyramid. Right? <laughs> so, um, right? I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, crazy. it's actually in birds. Yeah. So it's crazy. So I think building code tends to be reactive um, and they don't take any risks. I've had so many fights with, with building code officials, not fights, but, you know, disagreements about the way um, um, vapor barriers should be installed in wall assemblies in the Northeast. We're a heating and cooling climate in New York and New Jersey. We don't need vapor barriers at all. Do you talk to them and they point to the International Building Code and I say, well, you know, the people who wrote that wrote that um, with a different, very different philosophy. And I think at the end of the day, we will see homes built more intelligently by, but only by the affluent. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I think at the end of the day, the saddest part about this is that healthy indoor air becomes a class issue. Um, it's not about, um, there's no way to have government engagement in a way that could actually make sense because it's expensive to build that way. And so, and it also costs, it's, it also requires awareness. So unfortunately, healthy indoor air should be a right to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see the mold in schools, oh, I mean, God. look in September. Just look at the put in your Google News alerts. Put in mold okay. just through September, and you'll be blown away by the number of schools that are closed down in September because the, the, the uh, people came in right. to clean up the school before September and, got and they shampooed the carpet. Yeah. 
No, they chamfered the carpets unless the carpet's wet. Oh, okay. And so you, they, they come in, you know, without the AC on, and which is, of course, a dehumidifier, and they come in, and there are, there are colonies the size of basketballs on the kids' desks. <laughs> and, they try to, they, they, and, they, and they try to spray bleach on it or, or whatever, and ultimately the kids come in, everyone gets sick, and they got, they've got to shut down the schools for three months. So, you know, really, unfortunately, air quality is becoming... Um, it's becoming a financial issue, not say, not to say that the people can't afford to have healthy indoor air quality, but the people who um, are are really subjected to it on the most significant chronic basis are the people who really can't afford to fix it. So, you know, New York City school system, any, any of these school systems are having major issues. Public housing, disaster. Um, you know, when you start getting into the people that really need help, it's unfortunately the people that really can't afford um, to um, go through the process. And they're also obstructed by the legal system, too, because they're saying, well, you got to get testing, though. Well, who's going to pay for it? Right. Nobody yeah. wants to pay for it. So, yeah. And who's going to do the work? And right. so I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to be ostracized. Right. You know, you know, when you really get into the, into the, I'd say the bottom, 5% can afford to have it done properly. The other 95% can't. Yeah. You know, so uh, that that's one of the reasons why we're working on these products to create low cost or lower cost solutions. But even, even still, it's still such a, it's a significant sum. You know, you're talking about am I buying diapers or am I paying for a mold test kit in a home I don't own? Yeah. So it can be, it can be, it can be very difficult. And I'm sure you see this in your practice. People can afford to use your your service um, as opposed to, you know, suffering through their symptoms. Right. And I think at the end of the day, that that's the biggest travesty is that people, you know, ultimately healthcare should not be a financial or healthy living should not be a financial issue. But organic vegetables cost a lot too, don't they? Unless you're growing them yourself. <laughs> that's right. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and, then, and then they cost course, 10 now, times now as have, much, actually. <laughs> I was about to say, now you've got to have land or, you know, or a south-facing veranda. Yeah. You know. there, there's a great so, book out there yeah. that's called something like The $20 Tomato, and it's about this man or woman's attempt to grow everything organic for a summer and just how much work and how much everything really costs and when you put that much time and love into it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I there, there was also a a, um, a documentary about a, a couple of kids wanted to grow corn. Okay, I forget exactly what it's called, but they decided to get like one acre of land and grow corn. That's a lot of. And corn. the whole idea was, you know, how 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 much does it really cost to grow corn? And their conclusion was, it costs a heck of a lot more than what they can sell it for. Yeah, but of course, the government subsidizing corn. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. So they're, 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 that was part of their thesis was, oh, well, no wonder because you can't actually grow you know, whatever amount uh, of corn they're measuring. You can't grow an acre of corn um, and make money. You're getting, you're only living off the subsidies. So, and of course, corn isn't really a food. And anyone's got a gut issue should not be eating corn. We know that, right? So, <laughs> it's a different conversation along the same lines. It is along the same lines. I love, you know, I love so. me my sweet corn. Oh, listen, I do too. One, once listen, or twice love, a year. I, I, yeah, I mean, and and that's 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 another really interesting interesting thing. I think I think a lot of people 
who have these issues become very militant about uh, mm-hmm. this. And, and I think in many cases they should be, especially uh, in the beginning. But, you know, one of the things that, that being militant prevents you from doing is knowing when you've gotten better. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I stopped eating refined carbs 20 years ago. Wow. And, and uh, occasionally, like the other day, I had a burger. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. And I noticed that I didn't have the brain fog yeah. and the other junk. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, this is freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to eat that way on a regular basis. Right. But, but boy, it's nice to be able to. And I couldn't exactly. do it for half my life yeah see that's why i part ways with like the paleo people i don't think it's that we're genetically incapable of dealing with these foods i think that we've just kind of arrived here and that genetically maybe it's a little more difficult to to deal with them but there's the like the gaps people and some of those other gut health and gut brain people talk about healing your gut the western price people you can get better. I've seen it in my practice. And that doesn't mean you can, like you said, go back and eat Halloween candy, you know, 365 days a year. But, and you, you know, they can go out. By the way, you know. You know, you can go out Sorry. and have a, a, a drink and not be hungover for three days afterwards. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think your point about, about you know, you, you, once you get to a point where you're, Experiencing what it's like to not feel so terrible mm-hmm. when you eat a Reese's peanut butter cup, or when you have, God forbid, a, a, a an English muffin. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there was a point where I remember I was I was I used to commute between Princeton and New York City when I first started working on Wall Street many moons ago, and I would always get that 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 bagel. Yep, and I would get this out of body. I alluded to this before, but I would get this out of body experience that I would literally my head would spin and I would just, I didn't know if I was ever going to touch down again. And I felt like I was going to pass out. And, you know, so did you, you put the tell did, a doctor about that? Did you put the two together? Did you know it was the bagel or is it just? No, uh, I didn't for a long time. And then it probably took me another three or four years before um, I recognized that I couldn't eat uh, refined carbohydrates and not get really fat really fast. Mm-hmm. I'd blow yeah. up. Like, I, I literally, I would just explode. <laughs> um, and I also got terrible skin afflictions yeah. yep. with, like, like almost like, like uh, boils. Yeah, they are boils. Uh, but it really deep hairline, lower back, really deep, big monsters that didn't really tend to want to to to, to come to a head, but yes. they were just painful. Yeah. And uh, so once I stopped two things, and of course Dave Asprey doesn't going to like this one, but coffee. <laughs> I stopped coffee. That was a big deal. So have and you I started supplementing with? What's go, that? Go ahead. And you, so coffee, and then you supplement with. Well, I was I, I began supplementing back then with other things that I thought were were going to be beneficial. I didn't have any idea about gut back then. Right. Um, Nobody. Did. I was just saying. No, I had no idea. Right. Um, a lot of beta carotene and vitamin E. Mm-hmm. And as I look back at that now, beta carotene, of course, is great for the gut. 
you know, p- people don't even really talk about that that much. Um, but my skin suddenly started really repairing and healing. And once I got rid of the refined carbs, um, I noticed uh, everything just just improved. So I stopped well, all the white stuff. Um, all I, I used to live on fruit in the morning, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, my candida was just flourishing. My tongue was white every day. Yeah. Once yeah. I stopped doing all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, then and beer and wine and you know all the stuff that's got this you know huge weight and sugar load. Yeah. Um, then then everything really started taking care of itself. Um, and then I began going the other direction and saying, well, what can I do to knock things out and be intelligent? You know, Dave Asprey, Bulletproof Coffee, MCT oil. Yep. One of the best parts about that, that's propylic acid. Yeah. That's a powerful antifungal. It sure so, is. Well, he's, it's super. Yeah. And it, it's great for energy. And, it's a, and he doesn't talk about that at all. <laughs> um, but when I, I, was, I was up there two weekends ago up in Vancouver. Oh, and, cool. And he... He was, he was like, we sat there and we, we were having dinner and I said, Dave, why don't you tell everyone about a couple of cats? He goes, I'm not a doctor. Oh. He's like, you know, he's like, we're not making health claims. But, but at the same time, listen, it's powerful. You can, I use that in my hair. I used to have a fungal thing, but when I wore a hat too much, itchy scalp. I use that in my hair now. Gone. Done. Yeah. Coconut so, oil is amazing stuff. It's really cool stuff. So, yeah. but you, once you start getting into the, into the, you know, the castor oils and the acrylic acids and, and the, uh, olive, olive leaf extract yep. and all that stuff. And you get that stuff in balance, man. Um, you still don't want to go back and eat a bagel. <laughs> you don't. You're like, no. It's not worth it. Been there, done that. Yeah. You know, once in a while. But, you know, I think you become, you become resistant to that. You're like, no. Keep I'll, your beer. Keep I'll your pass. bagel. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, you know. so have you tried his? You're out there. You had some of his coffee, yeah, or no? Funny enough, I don't drink coffee, but okay. um, but I make I make bulletproof coffee. I've got a freezer full of bulletproof coffee um, because we're business partners. So I got a big box one day um, filled with bulletproof coffee and beans and in, in every form you can and MCT oil. And I make it for, for Sarah every morning. Oh, nice. She loves it. Yes. Um, but when we went out to, when we were up in, at, um, at the Bulletproof, um, biohacking facility. Yep. Uh, it was funny. He goes, so do you guys want a beverage of any sort? And, uh, he's like, my, he's like, it'd be much faster if we just do espresso. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah's like, no problem. Um, so we didn't actually have Bulletproof coffee at the Bulletproof. That's funny. So, so I've, yeah, I've been putting, what butter do you put in? I've been putting butter in my coffee now for a very long time also. There's a great. Yeah, so I like to, I, I like to use uh, the Kerrygold, obviously yep. the unsalted uh, version, but I also commonly just use um, uh, extra virgin coconut oil. Okay. Because Sarah actually likes that better. She she feels guilty about the butter, even though I try to, to, uh, to, to win her over all the way. Um, so. She's always like, we don't need to have that much butter and butter in the eggs, too. <laughs> so, uh, so what I try to do is I try to make uh, her her coffee sometimes with uh, with coconut oil, and she loves that. And Dave also makes a really cool uh, product. Her Bulletproof makes a really cool product called Vanillamax. I haven't had which that. Which is a fi- finely ground um, 
uh, lab tested Madagascar vanilla beans. Oh, right. The mold free so vanilla beans. Yeah. Really cool. You just do a pinch of that, throw it right into the blender with the, whether you're using coconut oil or, or uh, butter, a little MCT oil and the, and the, uh, you know, the, uh, bulletproof coffee and whip that up. And, and I mean, she, she hums around the house in the morning before she goes to work. Yeah, um, she's a very happy woman, and I think it's <laughs> it's great stuff. Uh, it, 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 it's not about me. <laughs> sure, it is. Take credit for everything. You made her the well, coffee, I'm man. Me. You I'm made her the me. coffee. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta take your wins when you can get them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we've got a organic butter operation crime held about uh, just fifteen miles from here, and he's just about. I think he's gotten into some of the. Uh, retailers down in the New York City area, and uh, so we're we're blessed up here to have that sort of thing where we can go to the farmers market and buy five pound tubs of of organic butter. It's pretty. Oh, cool. I love that. You know, yeah, we we get a little bit of that at some of the farmers markets. Yeah, and I always think, man, how how cool must it be to be a farmer and say, man, I'm going to go into New York City and you know into this affluent, you know climate and and bring them like stuff that they they can't even find you know at whole foods well, yeah. so they've got this all this specialized stuff and and you know union square gets loaded up i think it's like three times a week yeah and the farmers just come in there and clean up i think it's awesome you know yeah. i almost feel like the farmers can't grow enough well for for that situation it t- the pr- it's one of those system things. It's similar to like the housing situation we talked about. So across the street, I have a Mennonite family and they're, uh, organic dairy. And then up the street are the pecs and they, they've got a traditional d- dairy and they've just sold off their herd. And that's been happening around here for the past probably 30 years. Just people going out of business. You can't do a medium sized dairy farm, conventional dairy farm anymore. It's just like your the corn story. Uh, they can't get enough money for their milk. And there's so much pressure you know, from all the middlemen to keep their costs to absolute nothing, you know, because n- nobody in the, they don't think anybody in the supermarket is going to spend more than whatever it is, three bucks for a gallon of milk, whatever it is these days. And, uh, it's, yeah, and their it, kids don't want to buy the farm, by the way. The oh, well, no, they're, they're, they're long gone. They're done. Yeah, they're yeah. long gone. It's so it's brutal. So you've got these giant operations where they're just, you know, I'm going to say they're raping the land. You know, they're just throwing chemicals on it. They're raping the land, and uh, the guys who used to care about it. So you do have some people, some of the Amish and the Mennonites coming in behind, and some of the, you know, I'm going to call second generation hippies who, who do go down to New York City and sell stuff. So there is some of the land being protected and and some being put to use. But it's a it's it's a it's a shame. It's a real. You know, where your food comes from is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, listen, I grew up in West Windsor, which is, you know, an hour outside of New York City, and yep. it was all farms. When I was a kid, we had horses and goats and all that stuff, and it was, I was surrounded, I was on five acres, but I was surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of acres. Yep. Most of that land was being leased out to farmers yep. that didn't own the land. Um, they were, um, you know, they were just, you know, playing the spread, you know, they were mostly raising you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, things like that. And, uh, there was one farmer, uh, Grover. I mean, he was just like the nicest guy in the world. (laughs) I used to ride my bike there, um, past there all the time. Um, and 
in the summertime, I'd sometimes like dive into the into the bushes, basically like while I was growing strawberries, and I would just gorge myself on strawberries like <laughs> while I was riding my bike. That I was like probably ten years old. And uh, one day, my mom and I went to to uh, go go buy some stuff. He was always selling like green beans and things like that. Yeah. We walk up and we we I, I also got some strawberries and yeah, he keep over. And keep in mind that the road was about half a mile away from the the stand. And he and I never, you know, met eyes. Or I don't think he ever really saw me. But in that moment, he goes, "Hey, finally, good to see you buying some of those strawberries." <laughs> you know, and I was like, literally ten or eleven years old. And I was like, "Well, you know, I'm a fan." So, and I was like, "My mom's like, what was that about?" I'm like, "Well, mom, I eat a strawberry." She's just, "Oh my god, Jason, you can't do that. That's that theft. You're stealing." <laughs> so but it was pretty funny. And when he went to go. Um, he, he realized he was ailing. Um, he went to go sell his land. Yeah. The only people that wanted to buy it were the developers. Yeah. yeah. And his kids didn't want the land. And so he ended up uh, donating it to the school system uh-huh. and to the parks and recreation uh, under the one commitment that they would not actually um, develop the land ever. So it's still there. But his kids since moved away and have no interest whatsoever in the business. And uh, there are no longer strawberries there, but at least there's the big open field. And there's one school um, built right in the middle of it, which is kind of nice. That's a beautiful story. And I think we have to end there because otherwise we'll talk all night. So I know that ran a little bit long, but there was so much great information about what to do if you think you have mold in your house. I I think it was worth it. It was well worth it. That lesson was chock a block full of great information. Jason's done a wonderful job putting together his really affordable mold test, and I'll encourage you to take advantage of that. We'll have that information and others in our Masterclass Resource Guide, which we'll email to you at the end of the course. So if you haven't signed up at the Masterclass main page there and given us your email, do that right now. Even if you've already listened to Lesson 1, 2, and 3, go ahead and do that because that way you can get the resource list. And lastly, if you have any intention of actually healing your brain, you're definitely going to want to listen to Lesson number four, the next lesson, how to meditate like a Buddhist monk, even if you don't like to meditate. And I tell you what, I don't like to meditate. When I tried it when I was younger, my skin would crawl and I'd feel like jumping all over the room and maybe want to run around like a two-year-old instead of sit peacefully. But this method just breaks that all apart. It makes meditating really easy and you can get into deep states very quickly. So anyway, you will not want to miss that. You won't want to miss this. Yes. So if you're enrolled in the masterclass, you'll be getting an email about when this lesson goes live. And Aurora, can people still sign up for the masterclass? Yes. Yes, you can. This is our shameless plug. Yes, indeed. If you missed it the first time, you will get it this time. (laughs) For third time's the charm, right? Absolutely. So just go to www.limeninja.com forward slash brain underscore health. Thanks, Aurora. We will see you all at lesson number four.
Blind Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.